0: Ever snore so loud it registered as an earthquake or you woke up with a throat as dry as the Sahara Desert and a headache that could stop a locomotive? Well, I've had all of these because I have sleep apnea. Hi, I'm Scott Mitchell. Yep. I wear a machine plugged into a wall attached to a hose every night. Sound Sleep Medical changed all of this for me, and they can do that for you. They specialize in providing oral appliance therapy for individuals suffering from sleep disorders. In many cases, oral appliances have proven to be as effective as CPAP machines in treating sleep apnea. The lack of sleep is a serious health risk and has been linked to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and even depression. The oral appliance I got from Sound Sleep Medical has freed me from a hose. I can go anywhere and I've never slept better. Call Sound Sleep Medical today. Seriously, for a limited time, the first 25 people that call get a free consultation worth 200 bucks. Call 801 783 5451. It's eight zero one seven eight three five four five one.
2: Hello, I'm Jim Bennett.
1: I'm Abby Bennett.
2: And this is Dinner Table Politics. And we were looking around at what's going on in the world, and everything seems to be dominated by the presidential campaign.
1: Which is so depressing because it's more than a year away.
2: It, yeah, absolutely. And it's really stunning as we go through this, and people are saying, well, who's going to win and how's this going to work? And we're in 2019 we're so far away from it that there's no possible way that any poll or any kind of prognostication is going to happen.
1: Prognostication.
2: Do you not like that word? No, it's
1: a great word. I just wanted to hear what it sounded like coming from my own mouth. Uh, I've never said it before, I don't think.
2: Is that the first time you've said prognostication? Wow,
1: big day for me.
2: Big day for you. But none of the prognostications, first time or not, are going to come true. Maybe they will, but they're just completely unpredictable. And so looking at this, I thought it might be appropriate to go back and just talk about how presidential campaigns work, how they worked in the past, and how they're going to work in the future, and how that might help us as we try to endure one more round of four more years. I
1: can't do this again. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> you
2: have I to can't. do it every four years wish, of your life. I wish it
1: was like in England, like um, when the last PM, what was his name? What? Before Theresa May.
2: Before Theresa May. Gordon no, Smith? It was, no. no what was Gordon, his, Smith. Gordon Smith is a senator from Oregon. No, he it used was to be like David or... D- yeah, 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 yeah. This is embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Um, I have so many friends in the UK and so I'm going to sound like an idiot for
1: um, not knowing but who But when he resigned after like Brexit, yeah, literally like two days later it was Theresa May. Right. Like nothing...
2: Well, Theresa May has said she's going to step down as soon as her Brexit deal is approved. Yeah. So
1: David Cameron.
2: David Cameron. Yes, yes. we all knew that.
1: Gordon Smith. Oh Gordon Smith
2: is a senator. He's a Latter-day yeah. Saint senator, David, former senator.
1: David Cameron was like just stepped down and then it was like and then it was in the papers and it was like who's the new PM and then like the next day it was Theresa May and and I was in England at the time and we were all like all all like the American students were like what? This is like it's not being dragged out over two years to this like bloody, disgusting conclusion? What? That's possible?
2: Well, that's one of the primary differences between uh, constitutional government and parliamentary government. The UK, their leaders are picked by the parliament. They're not picked. There's no general election of all of UK citizens right, right, right. to determine who the prime minister will be. And I think there's some simplicity in that and some power to be able to turn quickly that there isn't in the American constitutional form of government.
1: Except have have the election cycles always been this long?
2: No, not really. Because the thing that has prolonged the election cycle is the 24-hour news cycle. Oh. So it used to be... That's,
1: I blame the 24 hours news cycle for so many ills in our society, honestly.
2: Well, and you wouldn't be wrong. And what's amplified the 24-hour news cycle is now that everybody gets to participate on the Internet. Yeah. You know, that you don't determine a news cycle based on whatever the rage is on Twitter at the moment. It just happens. Yeah. And so that, that I think, has fundamentally transformed what the presidential campaign is and what it's going to be going forward. Uh-huh. Uh, the the first presidential campaign there really actually wasn't one our first president was elected without a campaign he was elected unanimously and that was true of his re-election George as well
1: George Washington
2: good old George W and you talk about David Cameron stepping down and there's Theresa May George Washington set the precedent by stepping down after two terms
1: cue one last time
2: one Hamilton. last time what do you think that's good that's good, that was good. That's exactly right. But I think that was probably, in terms of his political career, the most gracious and long-standing good thing that George Washington did until, as president. Until
1: FDR was like, nah, That's I don't, right. don't want to do that.
2: Yeah, FDR decided he wanted to be president four times, and that resulted in a constitutional amendment that made it impossible for a president to do that. But, you know, when I look at the history of presidential campaigns... Uh, you look at the dynamic over time, and it's really changed rather drastically.
1: Was there a campaign for – who? Ra- oh, yeah, who ran – Thomas Jefferson ran against John Adams.
2: Correct, right? correct. And John Adams had essentially
1: – But how did you, like, even campaign back then? Because it was, like, your voter base was so – it was just rich white landowners, men. Right. And, yeah, I don't know. That'd well – interesting to, like –
2: there were things written in newspapers, and that was helpful, but most of the campaigning was done face to face. Presidential candidates went places and gave speeches. And I think the pinnacle of that model. Was when Abraham Lincoln was running against Stephen Douglas.
1: Yeah. And they set that up... That was a while later, though. It
2: was a while later, but they set up a series of what they call the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Yeah. When, when you were in high school, did they have Lincoln-Douglas debate as a as an event? No. What? I was a debater when I was in high school.
1: That was a... That seems like... Did they like assign one person to be Lincoln, and one, like that. No, they weird. wouldn't assign one person
2: to be Lincoln and one person to weird. be Douglas. one of you
1: guys is the good guy. Another one of you guys like slavery, <laughs> right?
2: No, uh, what they would do, there were two different kinds of debates. They had what they called Oxford debate. I don't know why it was called that, but those that was kind of the the uh, the varsity version of debate. You had two on two, two people debating two other people. There were a series of speeches that you had to give. Uh, But Lincoln-Douglas debate was one-on-one debate, and so it was two people arguing over a proposition. It's something I never did in high school. I only did the Oxford debate.
1: I did debate in elementary school, but it was two-on-two.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: it was about, like, is recycling good? yeah. Those were
2: fun. Well, my freshman year when I won Best Freshman Debater at Calabasas High School, the topic was, resolved the United United States should significantly curtail its arms sales to foreign countries. And the problem with that kind of debate was that you won if you could cram the most information into your speech as possible. And so everybody spoke like this and everybody talked as fast as they could. and And it didn't make a lick of sense and Lincoln Douglas debate was designed to actually be a thoughtful Who conversation had the
1: best sideburns
2: correct that was what the debate was always yeah. about
1: yeah girls never
2: won uh <laughs> i don't want to get into that that's that's a minefield for me to wander into but lincoln and douglas would talk for hours and go over these issues and and we've completely lost that we don't have anything like that in the current we have political debates. situation yeah, they're completely worthless. And
1: then, and then they get memed and turned into, like, Donald and Hillary singing Time of My Life.
2: Right. And you get bad lip-reading versions yeah. of them.
1: Yeah. That's pretty much all that they're good for at this point is bad lip-reading.
2: Right. I um, you, you look at it, and even in my own life, I can see how the mass media has transformed, fundamentally transformed presidential campaigns. And I think Donald Trump, for good or for ill, has transformed them yet again. Uh, Hillary Clinton outspent Donald Trump by something like three to one. Yeah. And she bought a truckload of television advertisements, none of which moved the needle at all. Right. They didn't matter. Donald Trump was able to cut through the clutter with a tweet in a way that completely uh, transformed, I think, the presidential campaign. Um, my father did that, too, in his, in his 2004 reelection campaign.
1: We weren't tweeting back then, really. We weren't
2: tweeting, but he spent, you know, for his 1992 campaign, he spent something like $3 million, okay. between 3 and $4 million. For his 2004 re-election, he spent $100,000 uh-huh. on media. And all he did was billboards that I got to design. Do you remember those billboards? Yeah. They were three words... And they were kind of a teaser campaign. It, it would say honest, humble, hairless. And it wouldn't say anything else.
1: Hairless? Hairless. Oh, Sorry, like, hairless.
2: hairless. No, hairless. No hair. I was he like, was bald. Yeah,
1: I'm, int- I'm intrigued because I don't know what that means.
2: Now, bold, brilliant, beanpole. And then eventually it said Bennett for Senate. Yeah. And we got national recognition for those and that was enough. That was enough to sort of cut through the clutter. Everybody else was spending millions of dollars but everybody was talking about the Bennett billboards. If you can do that and you can get your message out with a lot with not a lot of money, that I think is the holy grail for most so politicians. So it's all
1: this about like being kitschy, kind of and having like something that
2: Well, not necessarily very unique. There's there's no silver bullet. We'll talk about all of the things that candidates have tried when we get back from our break. All right. So, what would you say is the first televised presidential campaign? As in, like the candidates
1: ran uh, as TV in, commercials. For them yeah, size? as in
2: television mattered. If you ask Joe Biden, it was invented in 1929 when Franklin Roosevelt went on television to calm people down oh, about yeah. the stock market crash.
1: We talked about that yeah. because of the television.
2: Television, well... It was it,
1: invented by Philo T. Farnsworth, right? A Utah yes, yes. I'm so smart. His statue
2: um, is, on, is in...
1: Is in the, the Capitol. Statuary
2: Hall. You see, you've you seen that statue. Yeah. He's yeah. holding a cathode ray tube.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of statues in there. There is. Um, I guess maybe... Um, like, I don't know. We always talk about how like the Richard Nixon, um, JFK debates.
2: Yeah. I would say, I, I I don't know if Eisenhower ran TV ads in the fifties. I, but I would say the first time television made a fundamental difference in the outcome of the race would have been the 1960 JFK versus Richard Nixon. Right. And yeah, we talk about the fact that people who listened to that debate on the radio thought that Nixon had won and the people who watched it, Nixon was sweating Nixon had a five o'clock shadow and they watched it and Kennedy looked much more poised visually and so they thought he had won and, and that was a very significant, I think, indication that television was going to change our perceptions of presidential candidates. And it's very, like,
1: oh, he's actually ugly. I don't want to for him if he's ugly. Right, right.
2: I wonder how Richard Nixon would do today, because we haven't really elected ugly presidents. Donald Trump, I guess, might be an exception. Except for Donald Trump, Donald Trump certainly has a kind of charisma. He understands television. He understands how to perform in a way that a lot of candidates don't. You're you're kind of, I'm getting doubt from you on that. No, No,
1: I was checking whether we've talked about this before.
2: Well, we probably have. People need to people need to catch catch up. You know, okay, we're okay, trying to okay, we're sorry, trying to bring sorry. people in. Uh, the first presidential campaign that I can remember uh, was 1972, and that was a Richard Nixon campaign. And all I remember was that the day he won, I was at Rock Springs preschool. I wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And I was riding a big wheel, and I was talking to everybody else in the preschool, and they said, my parents voted for Nixon. Did your parents vote for Nixon? Yes, they did. It was very exciting I can't me. believe,
1: this isn't really related to that, but I can't believe that we had a president literally say, I'm not a crook, and then resign and fly off in a helicopter. Like, what?
2: I remember That's when that crazy. happened. That's crazy. I, I not was eight that. years old when that
1: uh, I guess things have gotten crazier since then, honestly. Like, I wouldn't be well.
2: Well, Watergate was really, totally happened, the thing that bugged me about Watergate was that all of the hearings were broadcast during the Saturday morning cartoons.
1: Oh, that sucks. So
2: I turned on Saturday morning cartoons and there were these congressional hearings and I thought, who on earth wants to watch these? Can't you watch these after Scooby-Doo is over?
1: They could have made them into, that would have been a great episode of Scooby-Doo.
2: What, Watergate hearings? Yeah,
1: and at the very end they pull a mask off of Richard Nixon and he's like, I would I would have gone away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids.
2: That's right. I wish that had happened. That
1: would be great. Someone make that.
2: Someone should. I think someone probably will now. We have that kind of an influence. We'll see what happens.
1: Please give me royalties. I am poor. I need money.
2: But the, So the 72 campaign, that's really all I remember about it, was that everybody at preschool was excited that their parents had all voted for the winner.
1: Your preschool was full of nerds. My gosh. Well, it was
2: a preschool in Washington, D.C., actually. So, yeah, it was full of political all those, all those kids were insufferable. Toss. I mean, I was, what, four, maybe? Four years old? So that's my earliest memory of a presidential campaign. 76, I can remember rooting for Gerald Ford and getting up the next morning and having my mother tell me that Jimmy Carter had won and i was <laughs> devastated why i don't just i don't know it was just i I wanted ford to win i expected ford to win because my parents were voting for ford and jimmy carter won and i was i thought the world had yeah, ended that's it.
1: always a weird i was trying to think about that the other day like the moment that cuz when you grow, when you're a kid pretty much all your political views are just your parents right and then there's a certain point where you're like, wait, maybe I'm smarter than them. And then so you form- changed
2: your political views from oh, my def- political definitely. views? definitely.
1: I can't figure out when it was. But there was definitely a point where I was like, wait, I don't need to listen to anything my dad says.
2: <laughs> I appreciate I that very much. I I want. I, you know, when I was 18 years old, I registered as a Democrat just to tick off my parents. Yeah. And They and didn't, care. didn't care. And that that I think, that was very helpful to me, to realize that my political views, it wasn't about pleasing my parents, it was about believing what I believe.
1: Yeah.
2: The 1980 presidential campaign, I think, is the first campaign that I really sort of followed. Who was that? That was Reagan versus Carter.
1: Oh. And
2: I followed that one to the degree that a 12-year-old can, right? I mean, I, I felt like I understood the candidates. I can remember sitting in... Wood, Woodlow Music on Ventura Boulevard, reading Time Magazine as it listed all of the Republican presidential gosh, candidates.
1: Gosh,
2: you were a nerd. I was a My nerd. My
1: gosh. It's shocking I turned out so well.
2: The candidate that I thought was really interesting was John Anderson, who ended up running in 1980 as an independent. And he got 5% of the vote. Uh-huh. And, and Jimmy Carter refused to debate... Ronald Reagan, if John Anderson was going to be there. John Anderson. Because John Anderson, even though he was running as a Republican initially, was really quite left wing. I didn't really understand that at the age of 12. Right. uh, Because you were dumb. Because I was dumb. But John Anderson, as an independent, was all the polling showed that he was taking votes more from Carter than he was from Reagan. Oh, yeah. And so Carter did not want John Anderson's candidacy legitimized. And so he refused to debate Reagan if Anderson was present. So there was actually a debate, and I remember watching it, between Reagan and Anderson.
1: Oh, really? And I
2: think there was even an empty chair for Jimmy Carter who didn't show up.
1: That's so dumb.
2: And Reagan used the entire time to just beat up on Jimmy Carter. With, oh, yeah, it, it, I mean, he was brilliant. He's like, you know, John Anderson and I, we agree. The guy who's if causing problems. If only
1: he was here to defend himself. Ah.
2: Right. And so. Uh,
1: hey, you know who sucks? Jimmy Carter. <laughs> right. Right.
2: And, and so that was what that whole debate was. Eventually, Carter did agree to debate Reagan. And uh, Reagan really wiped the floor with him. As I remember, okay. again, I was What's twelve. Reagan worshiper. I was a Reagan worshiper. There's no question.
1: Was okay.
2: I uh, yeah okay fine. I still kind of am a Reagan. You worshiper.
1: You gave me a, a when I was like ten, probably. You gave me like an, uh, an illustrated book about Ronald Reagan, and,
2: and it, it changed it, your life.
1: It was well, and now I'm like looking back on it, and I'm like, that's so weird that they gave me that because I like when at the time I was like, oh, fun, and it was just all about like. When Ronald Reagan was a kid, he saved someone from drowning. Yeah, he was a lifetor. And then he was like, and then he was in radio, and he was an actor, and he was so incredible. And one time he was in a movie with a chimpanzee, and it was like weird Ronald Reagan propaganda for kids. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what the heck?
2: Well, do you know the story that when I was dating your mother, her wildly left-wing sister, your Aunt Andrie
1: wildly uh, left wing uh, okay. well
2: she came to Los Angeles and your mom said I, I, I don't have time to deal with this can you take Andre and do something fun with her and I said sure and so I took her to the Ronald Reagan presidential library in Simi Why?
1: Valley
2: I didn't even tell her where we were going I said let's get in the car and we drove to the Ronald Reagan presidential library and I think she had a good time it's what? the most republican place on earth
1: what is there to do?
2: Oh, there's, there, there's a replica of the Oval Office there, which is kind of fun. And there's, there's just a bunch of stuff about his presidency. and it's, it's,
1: it... You can kiss the toes of his statue. Right,
2: right. His statue in Statuary Hall, I, you kind of do want to kiss the toes because it's built on the remains of the Berlin Wall. There are pieces of the Berlin you Wall. you want to kiss the statu- Berlin Wall? Well, That's no. the last
1: thing I want to do to the Berlin Wall.
2: No, but you want to stomp on it the way Ronald Reagan's statue is. Okay. So Anyway, we're all over the place.
1: Yeah, but that was just, I, I just didn't realize how weird that was until a lot later that I was like, that my dad gave me an, like a cartoon book of Ronald Reagan to, to show me how great he is.
2: Well, I will talk about the moment when I was nervous that Ronald Reagan was not going to be reelected when we come back from our break. So, Ronald Reagan ran for re-election in 1984 as the oldest man to ever have been president. He was the same age that Donald Trump is now. Yeah. And he, um, he was way ahead in the polls throughout the entire thing. Who was he running against? Walter Mondale.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, you've heard, not heard of Walter Mondale. No, I, I have not, so
1: I'm assuming Ronald Reagan won.
2: I, he did indeed. He won 49 out of 50 states. The only state what? he didn't win was, was Minnesota, which is the state Mondale was from. And I look at Walter Mondale, and I, I've said he is the man with the, the distinction of the only person of having lost a statewide election in all 50 states. Because he ran for senator, um, what, just about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, um, when uh, Paul Wellstone died. And he lost. Aww. So he's lost a statewide Wait, election. I feel
1: bad for him now.
2: Yeah. Well, he's a good guy. He's, I, I don't agree with him necessarily, but I think he was a decent man. I'm not sure if he's still alive. I think he may have passed away. But Walter Mondale, um, had a debate with Ronald Reagan. They had two debates. One was about domestic policy and one was about foreign policy. And Mondale wiped the floor with Reagan. In the first debate. Just Mm -hmm. completely destroyed him. Reagan looked confused. He looked old. He looked tired. Uh, He kind of fumbled around for all of his answers. And all of a sudden, Reagan, who had been just soaring in the polls, all of a sudden he started to drop. And everybody thought, maybe Reagan won't be reelected. And I was terrified. Because, you know, I was a Reagan worshiper. Yeah. Then they had their second debate. And Reagan clearly was prepared in a way for the second debate, that he wasn't for the first. He was more relaxed. He was charming. And then came the question that secured Ronald Reagan's re-election. The debate, The debate moderator said, you know, President Reagan, you're the oldest man to be president. And in a crisis or something, can people rely on the fact that you're going to be capable of dealing with that kind of physical and emotional stress? And Reagan said, Yes, I do not want to make age an issue in this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. And everybody just burst out laughing. Mondale started laughing. And that was it. That sort of put the age issue to rest. Reagan won re election with just that one comment. I'm
1: sure there were other things.
2: But... Well, no, yeah, but, but th- those are moments that you remember. Uh, I mean, there are presidential debate moments. I didn't see... So it just
1: shows that to be president. More than anything you just have to be like quick-witted.
2: Correct. You don't need to, to be To some degree. Well, Reagan was you the just first need to, be able
1: to think of cute little one-liners.
2: Reagan was the first president to understand the power of television.
1: As a former actor. As
2: a former actor, and he was he was criticized, he was belittled for it. He's just an actor and but the thing is that required that's a skill that presidents need to Lying. have.
1: You need to be good at lying. No,
2: no. That's
1: all of acting, is lying.
2: Acting is lying? Uh, Well, maybe. Lying convincingly? Yeah. Well, uh, okay. I, I, I think Reagan deserves more than that. But I was not around for the 92 presidential campaign mostly. I was a missionary in Scotland, and I pretty much missed the whole thing. I remember hearing I was in Thurso, Scotland, when I heard that we had a new president. And it was just bizarre to me. I just couldn't imagine a presidency without Ronald Reagan as president. Wait,
1: don't think I'm an idiot. Who who was who was after Reagan?
2: Who was after Reagan? Think about it for just a minute. Reagan's vice president. Does that help? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! George Bush, the first George Bush. Uh,
1: okay. Yeah. Wow. That's embarrassing.
2: George Bush um, defied the odds in a number of different ways because. Uh, typically, vice presidents who run, sitting vice presidents, do not win.
1: Yeah,
2: he was the first sitting vice president to win since I think Millard Fillmore, which was like hundred and something yeah, years. Yeah, I early. literally don't right. know
1: anything about
2: one. The other thing is that is that the party in power uh, does usually
1: s- swings back to the other side.
2: Right, right. So, so usually it's it's one party holds the White House for two elections. And then it shifts. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah. Uh, The last time it didn't was FDR before Reagan and Bush. Right. So the first George Bush extended the Reagan experience for 12 years. But he
1: didn't get reelected, though.
2: No, he didn't. And Clinton, who beat him, spent all of his time talking about 12 years of Reagan-Bush. 12 years. 12 years. And I think that really sort of uh, wore down the nation's... Endurance for that. Yeah, after 12 years, it's time for a change. Now, I don't think George Bush, the first George Bush, was the continuation of Reagan that Clinton was trying to pretend he was. Sure. In fact, the Republicans turned on him because George Bush had promised in the 1988 convention that he would never raise taxes, and then he raised taxes. Yeah. And he'd done that in a very dramatic fashion. Read my lips. No new taxes. And that... That sank him. The Republicans sort of turned on him. And the 92 campaign was a very depressing campaign for me. I went to try to get a Reagan, not Reagan, a Bush quail bumper sticker in California.
1: My gosh. And there was no Bush quail
2: campaign office in California. I couldn't find anybody that had a Bush quail campaign sticker.
1: I don't. I had to, people that have campaign bumper stickers, I just that was 1992. I, don't know. I
2: haven't had one. People,
1: I just don't know who you're convincing. You know, no shade towards any of you that have them, but I don't know.
2: Well, I tried very hard in 1992 to get one, and I got one. I, they mailed it to me. I thought it would make all the difference, and it didn't. The 1996 campaign between Clinton and Dole was the first campaign where I was actually at least vicariously, actively involved. And by vicariously, I mean through my father, who was a senator at the time and who was picked by the Republican Senate Conference to be the adult on the plane who traveled with Senator Dole to every campaign stop. Oh, so your weird. Gr- yeah, your grandfather campaigned... He was, like, he
1: was like his bodyguard? Well, he wasn't his bodyguard. Because Grandpa's the worst person to have picked for a bodyguard. Yes,
2: that's probably true. He wasn't a bodyguard. He was, they, they, they said, we, you, you need an adult in the room, Senator Dole. Campaigns are usually run by, run by young, scrappy people. Yeah. Uh, his campaign manager was Scott Reed, who was in his 30s, I think. Uh, I mean, you, you had all of these kids who were volunteers. And then you had Bob Dole, who was a 70-year-old man. And so they said, you need a, a grown-up on the plane with you, and that was dad.
1: You need a friend.
2: You need a friend. And dad went around with him, and uh, he said it was the most exhausting experience of his life. Campaigns are just a grind. They're just exhausting. Yeah. You get on a plane. You get off. You speak for 20 minutes. You shake a lot of hands. You eat some rubber chicken dinner. You get on another plane. You go raise money. You get, I mean, it's just. It's like
1: touring. Like whenever you read um, autobiographies of rock stars and stuff, and they talk about touring. They all hate it, and they say it's, it's awful.
2: Well, this is even less glamorous than touring.
1: Is touring glamorous? Uh,
2: well, yeah. Touring, you get screaming crowds. I mean, you get a little yeah, bit of that that's on a, campaigns.
1: They're exactly the same, basically. Well,
2: except for rock stars don't have to go glad hand donors and do all that kind of face-to-face, one-on-one stuff.
1: I guess, unless they do meet-and-greets with their fans. Which,
2: when was the last time you heard of Mick Jagger doing a meet-and-greet with his fans?
1: People do, are you kidding me? Like, huge stars do them all the time.
2: Oh, like Ariana okay.
1: Grande, Like you could buy meet-and-greets. I don't know. I just think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn.
2: Well, there you go.
1: Because I know more about concerts than I do about politics. So I was excited to latch on to something that I knew things about.
2: When we get back from the break, we're going to get into the presidential campaigns that have happened since you have been alive. Are you excited?
1: So excited.
2: All right. Here we go. Do you remember the presidential campaign of 2000 at all? You were what? I three? not. I was three. Okay. We've talked a lot about that and the hanging chads and how close it was to yeah. Bush.
1: I remember the next one, though.
2: The 2004? Yeah. When Bush ran against Kerry?
1: Um, I don't remember specifics at all, but I remember George Bush winning.
2: Okay. Were you excited? Were you still? I think still... I was apathetic. Okay. I think I was
1: probably playing with Polly Pockets or something. I had more important things to be doing.
2: Okay. The 2004 campaign was relatively uneventful. The 2008 campaign was not. Uh, Barack Obama became sort of the kind of... I, I look at Barack Obama very similar to Ronald Reagan, not in terms of what they believed, because in many cases they were diametrically opposed, but in terms of that personal magnetism and charisma and connection yeah. with the voters, I'm reading
1: uh, Michelle Obama's autobiography right now, yeah. and I just got to the part where like she's meeting Barack and falling in love. Yeah, it's so cute. First of all, and yeah, she talks about how like from the very beginning, like Obama had this crazy like thing that would draw people to him. I don't know. It's so interesting to see.
2: Well, uh, that I think. I mean, if you go to 2012 and Obama's re-election, uh, Obama was sort of cruising to re-election in the same way that Reagan was. His approval rating wasn't nearly as high as Reagan's was, but, but everybody just assumed Obama was going to destroy Romney. And then in the first debate, Obama whiffed it. I don't
1: remember that. Oh,
2: yeah. It, it was all over the place. Even MSNBC admitted that Romney had beaten Obama in that first debate. And all of a sudden, everybody was just thinking, oh, wow. I don't know,
1: that just kind of shows how I feel like debates don't matter at all Well, in presidential campaigns. The
2: statistics would agree with you. The statistics show that the debates...
1: I don't know of any debates that Trump won. Trump looked ridiculous in all of his debates.
2: Yeah, well, yes. Uh, I, I would say Trump probably won the debate right after that Access Hollywood take came out. Because everybody assumed that he would just get up there and completely make a fool of himself. And he didn't... Make a fool of himself wow. beyond his standards normal. The
1: are so So low. low. The bar is on the ground, right. ladies and gentlemen.
2: No, Trump, Trump has transformed the presidential campaign. He's made television far less relevant in terms of paid ads. I
1: don't know if he's done that as much as just we as a culture watch way less television now.
2: Well, we watch way fewer television ads. We skip yeah, the we TV ads. we stream everything. We stream everything but he's he's made social media a potent force and i think you know joe biden for instance is the nominee against trump he's going to have a seriously difficult time because he i don't think there's anybody on the democratic side who really understands the kind of immediate connection with the base and the voters that I trump think, well, has been well, able to do i think that's forge.
1: why like aoc has been so successful it's exactly
2: why aoc has been so successful if AOC ran against Trump, I think she could give him a run for his money. She's too young, but I'm thinking she's going to be on a presidential ballot within the next 10 years, don't you think? I don't
1: know. I don't know. Either. I just want to get through this
2: one. Well, I don't know that I necessarily want to get through this one, but I look at the Democrats and I look at all of the people who are talking. I look at Elizabeth Warren. I look at, you know, Cory Booker. I look at. I just think none of these guys understand. The way the presidential campaign landscape has changed under Donald Trump, for good or for ill. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that Donald Trump is a great president. I'm saying Donald Trump understands how to connect with his base. Does he,
1: or does he just like to tweet, honestly? Well, I don't don't think he has like a secret.
2: No, no part of
1: his brain that he accesses that none of us can see how much of a
2: genius he is. Well, you're right. I mean, Scott Adams, the guy who writes Dilbert, talks about Trump thinking in four dimensions while the rest of us are just in three and all that. Okay, I think that's nonsense. I think that Trump, in terms of his cognizant understanding of it, it it's not there. I think it's an instinctual thing. I think it's his instincts are good, his skills in this are good, but I think he's also kind of dumb. How's yeah, that? I, I would. Agree. All right, so we have agreed, and that's a great way to end dinner table politics as we agree. If you are listening to this on the radio, please be sure to subscribe at iTunes or at the KSL Podcast Center. And until next week, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm
1: Abby
0: Bennett. We'll
2: see you next time on Dinner Table Politics.
0: Don't get bumper stickers, they're dumb.